You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Rum Buncher Radio, episode 24. Trey Yannity, Nick Caparoso, Marty Leaf with you here tonight. Gentlemen, the 2020 season is officially over. The suffering comes to an end. The Pirates finish in dead last, 30th. But that's not the worst thing in the world. We're going to talk about that, talk about this series that just wrapped up with Cleveland here and how it leads into the offseason. A lot of positives to take out of the final three there. What are you guys' takes, though, on, on how this season wrapped up? And maybe just one take about the season as a whole. Marty, you want to get us started tonight? Yeah, one one thing I said on Twitter when the game ended, I mean, honestly, I was just thankful we had baseball this year. I mean, for so much of spring into the summer, it looked like it was never going to happen. Then even once the season started and you're having COVID outbreaks with the Cardinals, with the Marlins, even then it looked like we weren't going to finish the season. So I'm just very thankful that we had a baseball season. We got through it, even if it was only 60 games, because, you know, 60 games is a heck of a lot better than no games at all. For me, I think the key is uh, rebuild. You know, I this is a term that fans have been waiting uh, to hear, and I don't think you're ever going to hear Ben Charrington actually use it, but you really saw, you know, what the front office kind of thinks of, you know, what, what this team was left uh, from the previous front office. So, you know, what, what they really think of what was left from the previous front office, I should say. Um, you know, overall, they weren't very aggressive last offseason. They traded away Starling Marte, and they more or less kind of just rolled with what they had and dealt with the bumps along the way and promoted some of their younger guys, you know, throughout the year. And we saw a lot of good stuff from there, but you know, overall, like Trey said, the suffering, the 30, 30th place, uh, 30th place, um, the, the Pittsburgh pirates are rebuilding whether they want to, you know, publicly say that or not to, to me, they don't need to, but that's what I got from this season is, uh, that we're we're going to be looking at, you know, maybe another couple of years here before they truly are back in play, uh, playoff contention. And, and really, truly, you know, this worked out as well as it could for the Pittsburgh Pirates. There was only 60 games this year. If you were ever going to finish in last place, this was the year to do it because now, you know, it's not official yet, but it's looking like the Pirates are going to have the number one pick in the 2020 MLB draft. 
and you only had to play 60 games. You only had to lose 41 games this year, which would have been a whole lot more in a 162-game season. And you got to keep in mind, this is the first go-round of this new front office. This has been Charrington's first chance with the team this season. Derek Shelton's as well. And we've been a little bit critical at times on this show of Derek Shelton's decision-making and kind of the way this team was operated at times this year. But now that the 60 games are officially concluded, what's an overall grade for Derek Shelton's year number one with the Pirates? I'm going to give him a B. Um, I, I think that might be a little more generous than I would have said two weeks ago. But, you know, it's it's they finished the season on a different note. Cabron Hayes came up, really injected some life into this team. Um Shelton finally kind of got over the sitting them every couple days and really letting them play every day. Uh, You know, I've said it before on the show, and I just kind of said it, you know, my previous little thing here. He really wasn't given a whole lot here to succeed. Um, So, you know, I think overall he was just trying to use his guys and get through the season and see what he had in each player and not overuse anyone too much because he knows that, you know, next year and the year after are going to be just as, a, you know, more important than this year were. So I'm willing to give him a little bit of pass. I think I give him a B just because, like I said, it was good to see some of the younger players, um, you know, get playing time this year. And as the year went on, you could see the team started to, you know, play, play a little better baseball. Yeah. I mean, anyone who reads the site, anyone who listens to the podcast knows I've been extremely critical of Derek Shelton this year, especially early in the year. But I did feel as the season went on, Shelton was learning and growing as a manager. I think that's one of the more, that's a good point. um, Marty. Yeah. And I think that's one of the more overlooked things with this only being a 60 game season is he's missing out on those extra 100 games to kind of just help him, you know, learn how to manage and get his feet under him, learn his team, learn his players. So I think that's one thing that, and I'm sure Shelton would be the first person to tell you that he wishes he had those extra 100 games, not just for the sake of playing more baseball and for the development of his players, but for the development of himself as a manager. So I, I think that's one thing that is, you know, it does suck with the 60 game season, but the, the circle back to something you said, Trey with, you know, if there's ever the year to finish last it's this year. And to me, it's not just only playing 60 games, but also not having fans in the stands because you don't have to hear the booze. You, you know, you don't have to hear the heckling from your home fans in a year where you're finishing in last place. So I, I think from that standpoint, things fell well for the pirates this year to where they were able to effectively tank their way to the top pick in the draft, but do it in only 60 games and do it without having to play in front of fans. You know, there's a bit of a learning curve with Derek Shelton and Ben Sherrington and everybody that's new to this organization, taking some time to get to know your team, figure out exactly what you have. Um, And we heard, you know, really just after the season ended today, Shelton talk about his plans for reevaluating this team. We're going to have a full season recap special coming later in the week where we're really going to break it down, get into to Derek Shelton's year number one, Ben Sherrington's year one, how it sets up for this offseason. Hopefully going to have Michael the Fort McHenry back on. Um, he joined us at the beginning of the season. Now he's going to come back on and recap it for us. Um, and, and just a lot of great content coming later. 
Don't want to get into it too far here in this episode, but it's looking like the Pirates are going to be selecting at the top of the board this upcoming draft. Is Kumar Rocker a lock? We've obviously heard that name throughout the entire season. I think if the draft was tomorrow, Kumar Rocker would be the first overall pick. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you look at what he's done at Vanderbilt on top of already being a first round pedigree uh, out of high school. And, you know, it makes sense why he's viewed as potential one, one. Now I've brought up before that there's been some concerns about rocker, you know, about if he, you know, is, has the work ethic to stay in shape. Uh, and with that, his velocity dipping off later in starts and in turn causing his uh, secondary pitches to kind of lose their effectiveness later in starts. You know, that's a concern. But you're talking about the MLB draft. You're going to have concerns with any guy you you take. Um, you know, bar- barring an absolute can't miss, you know, Steven Strasburg, Bryce Harper type guy, you know, there's questions about Garrett Cole coming out. There was other names in the in the mix at that point, you know, Danny Halton and um, – Anthony Rendon and Trevor Bauer all were names in the mix as well. But Garrett Cole still ended up going one, one because, you know, he came out and had a really strong uh, junior season. And that's, that's where I'm going with this rocker needs to come out and basically prove uh, those questions wrong this, this spring. And by doing so, he needs to come out and be in shape and be able to carry that velocity deeper in the starts. Yeah, I really like that Garrett Cole comp there for Kumar Rocker, Nick. Um, like you said, the year the Pirates draft the Cole number one overall, they're for you know over a year leading up to that draft, people expected Cole to be number one. But like you said, whether it was Anthony Rendon, Denny Halton, whoever it was, you know Trevor Bauer, there were these names popping up to where okay maybe the Pirates take this guy instead. And I think again, it's just kind of fitting with Rocker. That you know, in college, Cole and Trevor Bauer were teammates, and who's one of the other names you hear about potentially unseating Kumar Rocker's top pick? His teammate Jack Leiter of Vanderbilt. You know, I I think I, I would be very confident in saying unless someone just absolutely breaks onto the scene between now and then, that the Pirates will take either Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter, or Jaden Hill, who's a pitcher out of LSU, with that top pick. Um I agree with you that if the draft was tomorrow, Rocker is going to go number one overall to the Pirates. I think that unless Rocker comes out and really struggles in the spring, or like I said, someone really breaks onto the scene, it'll be him. But at the same time, I, I don't think Pirate fans should write off Jack Leiter or Jaden Hill just yet. Yeah, and that's that's kind of my thing here is everyone's very much so acting like Kumar Rocker, Steven Strasburg. And, and don't get me wrong. What he's done at the college level is very impressive, but it's not a clear cut number one pick right now. A lot will hinge on this spring. Uh, you know, like we said, if he comes out and doesn't look like he, you know, tried to get into better shape and tried to improve teams might not like that. You also have a guy like Jaden Hill. I'm glad you brought him up, the kid from LSU. Uh, His career so far, he's been kind of held back from injuries. He had an injury his freshman year that really, um, you know, LSU has been careful with him since. But according to Kylie McDaniel uh, this summer, 
he'll hit up to 98 miles per hour in a start. So he is a name to watch, I would say, this spring, just because he is very much like Rocker and the fact that he is a big body guy. He is six foot five. He's pretty mature already physically. You know, like I said, he's up throwing up to 98 miles per hour. So he he he's another name to watch, you know. Um, it lighter, the, the issue there is you're talking about a six foot one guy. I know teams don't value, um, size as much as they did 10 years ago, but a guy like Ben Charrington, I think still does. And so that's why I think it would really be, t- be between Hill and rocker just because of that, that upside and that projectability, but Hill Hill's the name. If, if he can pitch healthy, he's the name that, you know, I think could jump up to the top of the draft board actually one other thing too with Jaden Hill that I like a lot about him you know regardless what the sport is I really put a lot of emphasis on if a player can perform at a great to borderline elite level multiple sports when Hill was in high school like the guy was a very sought after quarterback recruit as well like he's just a tremendous athlete and I think that that's something that Ben Charrington you know, likes that. You can't overlook that kind. Of, yeah, and Charrington loves that. I mean, that. beyond like, Anthony, like when Alford. Hill was in high school, he 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 had offers to play quarterback. I I looked it up earlier. I know it was like Illinois, Missouri, UCF, Arkansas. So like, not we're not talking like college football playoff contenders here, but like schools that are very good schools that have a pedigree and have a tradition of putting guys in the NFL. Right. You know, they're, they're not going to waste a scholarship on this guy. But then yeah, then you know. Like you said, Nick, that is something Ben Charrington has always liked dating back to his time. In, excuse me, back to his time in Boston. So, yeah, I mean, his first pick was Trey Ball, who, you know, wasn't a two sport athlete to what I can recall, but he was also a pitcher and um, a, a pitcher and outfielder. He's a two way player. Ben Charrington likes highly athletic players. Even if you look at his draft last year, every one of those pitchers he took later were converted um, infielders or, you know, uh, outfielders. So it's, it's definitely, it makes sense what you're saying there about Hill. And, you know, that's a very good point because that's, you know, Charrington, that might be one more thing that Charrington actually likes about Hill over rockers because that that's the big question about rocker is if he's physically going to be fit and you know, Hill is exactly. And then that's kind of where I'm getting at here where again, I'm with you. I think if the draft is tomorrow, Kuma rocker goes number one overall, but I don't Hill think he has a Hill. spring that he can really put himself in the conversation exactly. much like Trevor Bauer did exactly what Bauer did. Exactly. And that's where I think where, if you just you gotta wait and see what happens in the spring. I'm still not coming off Jack Leiter either. I like the the pedigree, the bloodlines on Leiter with his dad. Obviously, that, are very good. Right, but, absolutely. But I'm with you also on Leiter, where the size does concern me some. You know, the I don't size, want the command. Yeah, I I don't want my my horse anchoring my rotation. Like, and, and obviously, if Jack Leiter has a career like this, it's going to be a success. But it just screams Tim Lentz to come to me where. You're not the biggest guy in the world. You might have those four or five just awesome years, but your body is going to break down on you. And that's what would concern me with him. Definitely. And you mentioned it a second ago, Marty. Whoever this pick is, is going to, you know, be projected to anchor this rotation at some point. You're taking a player number one overall. 
some names definitely floating around there. It really, you know, for a while, it seemed like, it, um, you know, Kumar Rocker and Kumar Rocker still is the is the name, the hot name that everybody continues to talk about. But there are other options out there for the Pirates. It's going to be really interesting to see how the spring goes and, um, you know, how this draft goes. Still quite some time away from that. But a lot of names floating around. A lot of pitching, obviously, um, as, we, as we we're just talking about with Leiter, Rocker, these names floating around. But what about maybe a bat? If the Pirates were going to draft somebody, um, you know, to anchor the lineup, maybe what what names would come to mind there? You know, I think that's an interesting question, because one thing that I spent a lot of time doing for this past draft was looking at Ben Charrington's trends. And, you know, it seems like he typically likes to take offensive players earlier in the draft. Um, Nick Gonzalez, for example. Exactly. Nick Gonzalez. Um, the most recent one, and then he followed it up with the pitcher. So, you know, I don't want to say that it's out of the question because once again, you, you just never know what occurs this spring, especially at the college level. Um, you have a couple bats who are very interesting. Uh, the first one I've talked about on here before is Judd Fabian from University of Florida. Uh, he's an outfielder, which is kind of a position of need right now for the Pirates. Um, I know you don't draft for need per se, but when you're looking at a premium bat, you're also looking at, you know, what position versus taking a pitcher. So Fabian, the nice thing about him is he's one of the youngest players in the draft class. And he also had a very good Cape Cod league last year, which is something that Ben Charrington values very highly. Um, so it's another one of those things. If he comes out and just lights it up for the University of Florida and then goes and once again performs you know, strong in the NCAA tournament, he could position himself you know, as the top hitter on the draft board. Now, the other hitter that I think would be interesting for people is the uh, University of uh, Miami catcher, Adrian Del Castillo. He's the the top catcher in the draft. He is a rising uh, catcher. (coughs) I'm sorry. He is a rising prospect, actually. Uh, I believe Baseball America has him ranked as their third best prospect right now in the draft. Fangraphs has him, I think, top 20, but I also don't know um, when the last time Fangraphs has actually updated their board overall. So, you know, in terms of that, he is a bat first catcher. Um, but the plan is that he would be able to stick behind the plate. This is something that obviously the pirates need The the big thing, like I said, is not only does he project well in offense, he, he has very good bat the ball skills. So he's not going to strike out a lot, which obviously is a very important thing. Um, in today's game, but also there's enough power that, you know, you should be, you know, a Russell Martin like hitter, I think is his upside. Um, and then behind the plate, maybe similar. I don't know if he'll be, has as good of an arm as Russ Mart. Once again, he's young, he's 21. So that could be something that develops, but I know behind the plate, he's well-respected in terms of receiving uh, pitchers like throwing to him. Miami has a lot of pitchers who have gotten drafted uh, this past year, for instance. So, you know, I think in terms of framing and things like that, 
there's a lot of positives and that that's why he's being viewed as a potential top five pick just because it's, it's tough to find catchers who can hit and also, you know, be very productive behind the plate. So, yeah, I think in terms of the pirates, just in need of a, a big time catching prospect, Del Castillo is a name to watch once again, just this spring and how he performs. I like that pick too, because, you know, right now, that's such a big area for the Pirates is the question mark at catcher for the future. Going out this year with the number one pick and, and setting yourself up could be the best move for the Pirates. It's going to be an incredibly interesting offseason. But as we continue to um, get closer to the draft this upcoming summer, you know, what are you guys' overall thoughts on, I guess, Ben Charrington's strategy with draft number two? You know, like we talked about, it's it's obviously early and this spring is going to be big. But, you know, the common theme here is you haven't heard me talk about one high school player. I do not think, you know, you'll see a high school player at one. Um, Ben Charrington especially uh, tends to go college players. You saw that, you know, this past draft, he went all college players. Um, I think part of that was just because of the whole structure of um, the draft this year. But also I think it's – safe to say that based off his his previous drafts he prefers that and a lot of that's because of financial reasons and a big thing for the pirates this year having the first overall pick is that they will also most likely have the biggest overall draft pool which will allow them to be aggressive not only at the first pick but aggressive with with their later picks you know in the second round and they will also have a competitive balance pick. Uh, I'm not quite sure where that pick will fall, whether it will be after the first round or the second round this year uh, remains to be seen. But, uh, you know, we've seen them before, you know, try to sign guys under budget so they can spend more over budget. And that, that's kind of why I bring up the bats at one. Just yeah. y- you never know if you, you you saw it this year at, at number two overall, um, Keston Jerstad the Arkansas outfielder, you know, some thought he was going to be available to the pirates at seven. Some thought he would be available possibly beyond 10 and he ends up getting number two overall because the Orioles were looking to be aggressive with some later picks and save some money early. So, you know, it's not about saving money per se, but the pirates will spend all they can on the draft. They always do. It will just be about if they feel, you know, at number one, if Kumar Rocker or Jaden Hill is the slam dunk number one pick or not, or if they're better off taking a high upside, safer bat and using money on pitchers later in the draft. No doubt about it. And regardless of who they take, having the number one pick, I think just is such a nice feeling after the suffering that everybody dealt with this year in Pittsburgh. Um, but still quite some time. It's a reason for optimism, exactly. for sure. It's exciting to know that you know, it, we're going to be able to watch these guys next spring and really try to figure out who we think is going to be the best guy for them to take. And, you know, obviously, It's so exciting because you know when you're in full rebuild mode, like the Pirates are, getting the number one pick is such a big part of that process. And, and just having that as, a, as kind of an award, for uh the way the team played this year i don't know maybe a a word is the right word there but as just something to get excited about it's so nice to think about and 
this team's expanded the international cap space too. We never know what signings are going to happen this offseason. So much young talent is about to come to Pittsburgh. We can only hope. Um, but it's going to be fun offseason to watch. The Pirates, although did still have three games to play uh, before the um, – what am I trying to say here? The Pirates did wrap up the season in Cleveland this week. The 30th uh, place was secured, I believe, on Saturday night with the Texas Rangers defeating the Houston Astros. A little help. I don't know about you guys. I've never been a bigger Texas Rangers fan in my life this weekend. They give the Pirates some help there. Pittsburgh showing some, some uh, you know, really silver linings in Cleveland. The Bats coming back. They scored 17 runs this weekend to close out the year. Cabrian Hayes had a streak of eight consecutive hits before flying out in his final at-bat of the season. What are your guys' thoughts on the series as a whole as the Pirates closed it out, losing two out of three to the Indians? Excuse me, like you said, Trey, there's definitely some positives there. I mean, Cabrian Hayes continues to just look to be on a just completely different level than the rest of this roster. Like you said, he was five for five Saturday. Sunday, he singles, he hits a home run, he walks, and then he finally strikes out to uh, yeah. break his streak there. But, I mean, yeah, it's – Oh, absolutely. But there there were – and we'll get into this more in the later episodes, but there were positives from this season. Cabrian Hayes was incredible. Carla Moran, for the first time in his career, looked like a guy who was the number six overall pick on the draft with what he did with the bat. You know, on this pitching staff, I think Oscar Marine – is going to quickly become one of the better pitching coaches in the National League if he isn't already. I mean, JT Brubaker, yeah, he struggled in the sixth inning on Sunday against Cleveland. But outside of that inning and that one bad start against the White Sox, he was terrific this year. Stephen Brault took a huge step forward. Joe Musgrove had the best season of his career when he was healthy. I mean, Chad Cole comes back from having not pitched in two full calendar years and posts like a 420 ERA with a career-high strikeout rate. Like there's there's positives there to be had from this team, yeah. And I think what's what's to me what 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 was most encouraging is the guys who had these good seasons. They were your Hayes, you know, cool Keller finishing with 17 no hit innings or whatever the heck it was. You know, Moran, Blake Cedarlin looked really good out of the bullpen. It's guys who are going to be here for a while. It's guys you can build around. You know what I mean? It's not like Derek Holland came out and had some great resurgent season where it's like, all right, Holland was awesome, but he's not going to be here next year, you know. So I, that's what I really liked is a lot of the guys who did seem to take a step forward, did seem to prove the season are guys who you can build around moving forward, and that is always great to see. And, and even Brian Reynolds. I mean, Reynolds, he struggled this year, but the power was there at the bat. He was still hitting the ball hard. His exit velocity numbers are still good. The dude was just snake bitten. And, you know, I think one thing people need to keep in mind also is normally 60 games into the season, we're at like Memorial Day. So, you know, if you're hitting a buck 90 on Memorial Day, like Reynolds won a pinning this year, you've got all of June, all of July, all of August, all of September to get your stats up. So I think people, when they look at the struggles of someone like a Brian Reynolds this year, that is one thing they need to keep in mind as well. I think that's every player, you know, good or bad. You really have to take this season with a grain of salt. Yeah, I, I agree, Trey. I mean, when it comes down to it, 60 games, like Marty said, you're talking the first, you know, two months, a little over two months of the season. Uh, it's it's hard to get a sample size. A guy like Brian Reynolds, you, you saw what he could do last year. You, you got to think 
you know, that you, you, you saw the bat starting to wake up over the last week or so, especially like you said, the power, he was really starting to stroke the ball pretty well. Um, the balls were that were starting to fall a little more for him. You know, overall, uh, Reynolds, he, he struck out a little more this year than he did last year, 27% versus 22% last year. And that, that was the thing, especially early on, that was that was affecting him. But he's still his – he barreled up balls at a higher percent this year than he did last year. He walked at a higher percent this year than he did last year. His hard hit rate was within 3%, which is, you know, pretty good variance. So – it's not like there was anything there that was all that big of a red flag. Like you said, Marty, he was just a little bit snake bitten uh, this year. And, you know, overall you expand what he can do over 150 games. I'm I'm not too worried about Brian Reynolds going into next season. No, with Reynolds too. I mean, I can also speak from experience to an extent here on this front where it, it seemed like after his son was born, he was a totally different hitter. And you know, those first few months of the season, first month, whatever it was, when you're getting ready to have your first child, especially with everything that's going on in the world right now, health wise, it's going to be hard to focus. Like, you know, as a parent, I can attest that, you know, the last two or three weeks before my youngest son was born, I was just checked out of work because that's not what you're thinking of. You know what I mean? You're focused on your family, you're focused on your kids, you're focused on your wife, all that sort of stuff. So I, I wouldn't be surprised either, even if Reynolds wouldn't say it, even if he may not even realize it, if that was also something that was potentially hampering him that first month or so of the season. Because, And now, again, this is just totally off my head. I'd have to look at numbers, but I do feel like after he and his wife had their child that he really – that's when he really started to get it going offensively at the plate. Yeah, we saw game one. I mean, he hit the bomb. Uh, you know, it started stroking it immediately. I think the at-bats, too, is – just the way he he carried himself in each at bat, um, you know, really more so after the child than before. But he wasn't swinging at too many bad pitches. He wasn't going down in at bats and looking silly a lot of the time. Um, and yeah, so much it's, upside it's, there. It's it's not like he was up there looking overmatched or anything like that. You know exactly. I mean? Like he looked like he belonged. He looked like a guy who was having a bad month, month and a half start to a season. Who you knew over the summer was going to get it together. And I do fully believe that if this was a 162 game season, even with these results through 60 games that by the end of the year, Reynolds is probably setting it, you know, 280, 360, 470 slash line, a good OPS, lots of extra base hits. Cause that's just who Brian Reynolds is. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a few guys on this team. If they had just had the chance to, to continue on in this season and get more at bats, get more comfortable, kind of like Gregory Polanco, you, you started to see him really, kind of turned the corner here as the season began to close. What are, what are your thoughts on, on El Cafe's finish to this 2020 campaign? I mean, I know we, we have talked about Gregory Polanco to no extent on this podcast. And I know that I remain higher on Polanco than a lot of people. I feel, I just think going Polanco, I will be stunned if Polanco is not in right field and opening day next year. I know we kind of gotten a little bit of a, a pretty, pretty heated talk about this in the Rumbarn Slack channel the other day, where I know Nick, you you won't be surprised if he's traded because of the salary, but I just I can't see anybody taking him right now. And you know, you look at his numbers this year. His exit velocity was in the ninety seventh percentile in baseball. His hard hit rate was in the ninety sixth percentile. His barrel rate was in the eighty sixth percentile. Like the dude was crushing the ball, 
He played good defense this year. His outs above average and right field was in the 90th percentile. He just, he, he was snake bitten offensively. And when he did hit the ball, he hit a hard hit for a lot of power. Now he needs to cut down on the strikeouts. You know, his strikeout rate this year was 37.4%, which was 10% higher than his previous career high and just entirely too high for any hitter. But I, I really do believe that if Polanco can cut back on the strikeouts next year, he is going to be primed for a 25 home run type season. And he still walked a bunch this year. You know, I, I think you're looking at a guy who's going to give you 25 bombs, get on base at a 350, 360 clip, give you good defense in right field. I just I I just can't see him not being in right field next year on opening day due to a combination of I don't think anyone's going to trade for that contract with how much he showed this year with how high his ceiling remains. See, Marty, and right there is why I think he won't be here because you just listed out every reason a GM would want to bring him in on $11.5 million. $11.5 million for a left-handed power-hitting outfielder on the open market would in free agency, that that's, I mean, you're talking about a moderate veteran salary there. So I, I don't think there's going to be that many teams that scared of that. One team I do think that's going to be very scared of that is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Ben Charrington's already made comments that payroll's going to decrease next year. There's going to be a, a lot of natural payroll decrease, but I think part of that is going to be Gregory Polanco, any acquiring team also has the an option on Polanco for the following season that if it doesn't work out, they can buy him out. So it's not that long term of a risk for a team bringing him in for a guy who has a lot of um, you know metrics that suggest he could break out and maybe a change of scenery to an American League team or something like that is what will allow that to happen. See, I get what you're saying, but I just I can't see another team. Taking, and I agree with the free agent thing. You're going to give eleven half million for agency, but a this is not free agency. B you're trading for a guy who in the last two seasons has played ninety two games. I just I cannot see a team wanting to take on that contract with. And I get that, and that's where in my same breath, where like the Pirates cannot afford to pay him eleven and a half million dollars. So play hopefully a hundred games. See, but that's where I disagree. I think they can afford it. It's a matter of whether or not they want to do it. Like with where their payroll's at, where they're at as a franchise right now, their best bet, the the best case scenario for the Pirates and Gregory Polanco right now is they pay him that Polanco comes out next year. He's healthy. He hits the ball. He cuts down on strikeouts. And it's one of two, either then he's helping you win baseball games or he's a great trade trip in July, and you ship him off, and you put Travis Swagger in right field. Like I, I just, I just, if if I'm the general manager of a major league baseball team, I don't care if I have an unlimited payroll. If I need a left-handed power bat, no matter how much I might like Polanco's peripherals, I am not giving up anything at all for a guy who, in two seasons, has played 92 games, and there are still a lot of questions about whether or not his shoulder is going to stay intact every time he takes a swing. Gregory Polanco divisive, if nothing else. We're going to see what happens um, as we get into this offseason here. The Pirates closed out the series, losing two out of three. To the Cleveland Indians, they finished with a final record of 19-41. and 41. Uh, 
not the best winning percentage there, but hey, like we mentioned earlier, it was only 60 games of suffering. It's over now. They won't be moving on to the 2020 playoffs. Like 16 lucky clubs. Some fun matchups in this uh, in this wacky, wild 2020 playoff slate here. Let's get into that a little bit. What what matchups get you guys the most excited um, as we get set for this wild card round? I'm very excited to see the Chicago White Sox and the Oakland A's. Um, I know a lot of times throughout the year on here, I have expressed my love for this young Chicago White Sox lineup. Um, so, yeah, I'm very excited to watch that one. I think the White Sox, in my opinion, have the best young core in baseball. I think they're the best lineup potentially in baseball already. If they don't, they're going to in the future. Um, I'm also very excited to watch the Padres and the Cardinals because I love the San Diego Padres. That team is so much fun, and I absolutely hate the St. Louis Cardinals with every ounce of my freaking being. So there is nothing I'd love to see more than see the Padres come out and club the Cardinals and win game one like 47 to nothing and then win game two like 63 to nothing just because, I mean, the St. Louis Cardinals are evil. And yeah, so yeah, I, I I'm a, I'm excited to see what the White Sox do. I'm excited to see what the Padres do because I think I I think in the next ten years or so, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more than one World Series matchup between the Padres and the White Sox. So I'm very curious to see what those two teams do in the postseason. And also, I'm I'm also very excited for our, the yearly. How are the Dodgers going to choke this year? Because even though the Dodgers are probably the best team in baseball, I have zero doubts in my mind they will not win the World Series because they will screw it up somehow. I'm right there with you, Marty. Um, yeah, the, the White Sox and the Padres, definitely the, you know, the two young teams that we hope that the Pirates eventually kind of look like in a couple of years. Um, just exciting young players who can really – use this postseason as a chance to establish our platforms, especially for the White Sox like Elo Jimenez and Louis Robert, you know, are good young players, but maybe aren't in the spotlight yet the way Acuna and Tatis are. So I think it'll be cool to see how they perform this uh, postseason. The other uh, American League series that I'm really looking forward to is, you know, Cleveland and the Yankees. Um you know, you're talking Cleveland with the pitching they have versus the Yankees and that lineup. And, of course, Garrett Cole and see how he performs uh, in his first season with the, the big contract. So I think outside of that, National League, uh, the Marlins and Cubs, I, I would love to see the Cubs lose to the Marlins just because I don't think anyone in a million years thought the Miami Marlins would be making the playoffs. And for – Chicago Cubs to to lose to them would just be, you know, like you said, it'd be great to see the Cardinals get dumped by the Padres. I'm right there, but the Cubs get dumped by the Marlins. Yeah, and how about this? Four National League Central teams making the playoffs this year. We got the Reds and the Braves, Dodgers, Brewers, Padres, Cardinals, Cubs, Marlins, and then on the AL side, Yankees, Indians, White Sox, A's, Astros, Twins, and Rays, Blue Jays. That's a fun one. I think uh, you need to keep your eye on as well. Another young, energetic lineup in Toronto versus a, a red-hot Rays team. Some really great postseason matchups. And, you know, the, the one good thing about the Pirates not making the postseason, well, you get to sit back and watch all the drama unfold for teams like the Cardinals and the Cubs. How about that Marlins team? Like you said, Nick, making the playoffs, all the storylines, the outbreak. At the beginning of the year, everything else, they sneak in and we'll take on Chicago in the first round. To close out the show, why don't we get a little 
early now that the bracket is set world series champion pick for me i coming out of the american league if they were had the pirates beat the indians today i probably would have picked the white Sox to win the american league but they got a real tough draw in the, uh, right off the bat there with oakland um i give me give me tampa out of the american league in the national league Again, I like San Diego a lot. I just don't think they're quite there yet. So I'm going to take the Braves to come out of the National League, and I think in the end we're going to see a lot of our old friends, Tyler Glass now, Austin Meadows, Charlie Morton, whoever it may be, in the Tampa Bay Rays winning the World Series this year. Yeah, Marty, I kind of like that with the way the year is. The Pirates have the number one pick next year. It would make yeah. sense for, for the Pirates to have to watch you know, that series go on. Um, one, one last salt of the wound for 2020. Let's watch Austin Meadows will probably hit like a, a go-ahead home run in the eighth inning of Game 7 of the World Series after Charlie Morton pitches eight scoreless, and they bring Glass out of the bullpen for whatever reason. Just to slam it down to the ninth, against, but just to stick it to Pittsburgh against the Dodgers, you know, against Dustin May and Kybert Ruiz, who uh, very well could have been in pirate yeah, uniforms, but year, you know, yeah. we're, we'll just stop that part there. Um, you know, <laughs> but seriously, I, I I get the Rays, you know, coming out of the American League, uh, especially with that first that first round, because you look at all those other series, and those it's really hard to predict who wins those other series. Uh, the Rays, you would think, should handle the Blue Jays. Beyond that, I, uh, there's something about Cleveland, you know, sticking out to me. I think just their pitch pitching, Bieber, obviously, um, just unreal. Yeah. I, I think one thing, too, with, with Tampa and Cleveland, I mean, the bottom half of that American League bracket's brutal. You know, Minnesota, Houston, who probably underperformed more than any team in baseball, Oakland, the White Sox, like that top half, the Blue Jays are probably a 500 club at best if you play 162. The Yankees have injuries out the wazoo. So that does set up really nicely for Tampa Bay and Cleveland there. Yeah, I think, like you said, I, th- I think with the Yankees kind of being banged up and Cleveland with you just kind of needing those, you know, a couple big arms versus the Yankees. I think they have the edge there. And then coming out, coming out of the uh, NL, the Braves. I think, like you said, they make a lot of sense of similar reason. They just kind of have the complete the complete package. But you also got like the Dodgers, and I think this is the year the Dodgers finally put it all together because the expectations are lower because it's a sixty game series and a season. We'll see what happens. I mean, there, you know, maybe Joe Kelly will stick his tongue out at somebody else or something. We'll get robbed from them again. But it's going to be a really, really fun 2020 postseason. Some great matchups. Best of three to get it started here. We'll see that coming up this week. I believe Tuesday is when the Twins and the Astros are going to get us started. Um, but yeah, you know, this this postseason is really, I think, up for the taking. You can't sleep on teams like the Yankees, you know, with the way the lineup is now coming back and getting Garrett Cole and everything else. But a tough draw there and in their round one, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. We'll just have to sit back and watch. Like I mentioned earlier, we're going to have the full 2020 season recap special coming later in the week. We're going to really dive into things, break it down, get you set up for this 2020 into 2021 offseason where 
a whole lot is going to happen for the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's all the time we have for this episode. For Marty Leap and Nick Caparoso, my name is Trey Yannity. As always, you can find us on Omni.com, on Fansided.com slash Rumbunter, on our social media at Rumbunter, and on Apple Music as well. Have a great week, everybody. Let's go Bucks. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.